feel like you were born in the wrong era? Do you pine for a time gone by? Well, you've come to the right place. I'm Kaya Handley. Welcome to This Retro Life. The year is 1950 and NBC has just started a brand new TV show. It's called The Colgate Comedy Hour and these guys are the stars. Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin. They were the Elvis Presley, the Spice Girls, the One Direction of their time. But they weren't a band. They were stand-up comedians. And today, in 2018, the vibe, the jokes, the talent of Jerry Lewis is kept alive by Nicholas Arnold, a Toronto-based tribute artist. He's my guest this week. Nicholas, it's so great to be speaking with you on This Retro Life. Thank you so much for having me. Jerry Lewis, who introduced you? Um, that happened a long, long time ago. I was a kid and I would watch the, the Labor Day telethon that he always did every year for years and years and years and years. But I think my parents had also introduced me to his comedy movies, like The Nutty Professor. And then around the time that I was 13 years old, just through enjoying those movies, I began watching some of the early, early stuff that he did with Dean Martin yeah. when uh, when he and Dean Martin were a, a comedy duo, Martin and Lewis, because that stuff was just starting to actually get re- uh, re-released out on DVD, some of the old Colgate Comedy Hour sketches. So then when I discovered the two of them together, I just absolutely fell in love with that style of manic comedy. Were you the only 13-year-old watching comedy from the 40s? I'm going to say absolutely yes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I definitely was the only one in my school community. And what's funny about that is I would, as we often do when we enjoy something, whether it's a movie or a book or something like that, we, we push it on our friends. So I was very often, actually, if I if I had friends over, that I would show them a 1940s episode of the Colgate Comedy Hour with Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis and just try to try to get them on board with it too because I needed I needed people to share that excitement with. Did they have a similar reaction or they were like, yeah, anyway, okay. It's hard, right? Because especially if people uh, are more used to modern comedies, which obviously as we are, a lot of our peer groups nowadays are, pacing's different as well, right? So what what some people find found funny back then isn't necessarily what people find funny now nowadays, especially just with the pacing of editing and, and all that sort of stuff. So not everybody was definitely sold on it, but I did convince, and this is what kind of started everything with me career-wise, I convinced a buddy of mine to play Dean Martin in a talent show, and we did a Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. We did about 10 minutes of their routines. Nobody in our age group, 12 and 13 years old, is understanding it at all. All the jokes are flying over their heads and our heads. We're just transcribing what we watched in the episode. But the parents who were at that talent show absolutely 
loved what we did because of course it was resonating with something mm. for them. And you didn't just get up and tell the jokes. You were also trying to mimic Jerry mm-hmm. Lewis in, in look, in voice, in sound, in that sort of slapstick physical comedy as well. Yeah, it was one of those things that you encounter every so often as an artist or especially as a performer where you see somebody do something and you go, oh, I can do that or I can, or it would be fun to try and do that. Uh, which for me happens a lot of times when I see physical comedy. And I was always just a very lanky, skinny guy, which I still am. And so I saw that sort of connection with early Jerry Lewis, like Jerry Lewis when he was in his 20s with Dean Martin, because he was this skinny, lanky guy. And I had a deep voice even back then, but I thought, "Mm, maybe if I can work on pitching that voice, I can kind of sound the way Jerry Lewis does with that nasally voice that he always put on. And uh, so for me, it was much more about the challenge of, yeah, impersonating him. My friend looked a lot less like Dean Martin than I did like Jerry Lewis, but he was good to go along with it. Yeah, he was a redhead, wasn't he? He Yeah, yeah, yeah. How'd you know that? Oh, uh, podcast. You listen to my, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was a redhead and, you know, both of us are 12 going on 13 or somewhere around that age. So our voices haven't even cracked yet. So he he was more just playing the straight man to my Jerry Lewis impersonation, for sure. That's all you need sometimes is a good sidekick who just knows their part. Exactly, yeah. So from 13, where did you go from there to end up where you are now as a, a Jerry Lewis tribute act? It's kind of a long and winding road, but there were parents at that talent show. They were part of a murder mystery troupe. And what that murder mystery troupe did was uh, perform at restaurants with organizations would hire them. There was a lot of improv that happened with it, a lot of interacting with the guests and all that sort of thing. And they cast me two years later, just based on that performance that they had seen. Uh, so I was about 15 at the time. Uh, and they cast me in this role that wasn't it wasn't a Jerry Lewis role at all. The character's name was Jeremy Jones, and he was, a, he was a mail clerk in the 1940s. That was just the setting of this murder mystery. But I used that to basically harness this Jerry Lewis impersonation and really hone it in. So much so that as I would interact with guests as this character, as Jeremy, I was running around like, like a Jerry Lewis caricature, uh, and guests would... Cheek, you know, they cheekily asked me, hey, hey, where's uh, where's Dean? And hey, shouldn't you be running a telethon somewhere? And, you know, all these little jokes that they throw at me. So they were definitely getting that I was essentially doing a Jerry Lewis impersonation. And I ended up doing that for about five years. So so by the time I'm in my early 20s, I've really actually worked quite a bit at sort of perfecting this impersonation, but also using that impersonation in improv and interacting with guests as that character, which which proved to be um, very, very beneficial for me. And then what I decided to do was in my early 20s, I just had this thing of, I, I could really do something with this. And I don't want to be necessarily doing the murder mystery show for the rest of my life. What could I do? And the idea dawned upon me to make a show, make a one-man Jerry Lewis show and tour it to retirement homes, which is what I ended up doing for for quite a few years. How was that received, especially by, I guess, the generation that knew him the best? Well, what's interesting about that, actually, is when I started touring to retirement homes, I was doing uh, an actual impersonation, which is less what I do now. And so in doing an impersonation, I was actually coming out and saying, hello, I'm Jerry Lewis, you know, and, and staying completely in character from the moment guests would see me to the moment that I leave, which when you're touring retirement homes, that proved to have a lot of complications with it, especially just when you're dealing with audiences who maybe have different cognitive levels of understanding. Yeah be very, very confusing. And then not to mention the material is very dated. 
So I was using just actual Jerry Lewis material and old jokes that are pulled from the, you know, old Borscht Belt comedian circuit that aren't necessarily funny anymore and also don't have relevance in 2012 or whenever I was doing that, 2013. So it actually, I would say, did not go very well. It wasn't, (laughs) um, it, it was good in the sense that like, it's the best training I could have ever sort of put myself through. I think no amount of school could have taught me some of the, some of the things I learned in touring retirement homes in that regard. Uh, but it was really hard. I mean, talk about bombing, talk about just standing up there doing stand up as this ridiculous character and just having nobody laugh. And what made it worse back then is I was, I was pretty shy about singing, which Jerry Lewis did do a fair bit of later on in his career. But I was very hesitant to sort of cross that threshold. And that's definitely, especially when you're touring retirement homes, that's more in line with what they want. They just want a nice afternoon of songs they remember. So when you're instead just spending an hour and you're just miming to a typewriter and uh, running around and telling weird old vaudeville jokes that aren't quite funny anymore and there's no drummer behind you to make them funny, you just end up bombing. Uh, which I did for <laughs> for many, many years. And it was only until later when I started performing with some professional troops that I started learning that I didn't have to do an impersonation uh, necessarily to still pay tribute to Jerry Lewis. And when that when I made that realization, things really started to open up for me. So what does your Jerry Lewis look, sound like and do today? Like if we were to come and see you when we're next in Toronto, what would we see? Yeah, it's more of a it's more of a concert with Nick. And basically what I end up doing nowadays, I'm, I'm lucky enough I'm performing uh, with a professional show called Dean and Jerry, What Might Have Been. And we tell the story of Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis with this show. We've been touring for about two years. And what the show is, is it's essentially just a concert, but I'm Nick on stage. And what that allows me to do is I'm Nick, but I'm a very Jerry version of Nick. But I can slip kind of in and out of that persona uh, very fluidly. And that allows me to then just talk to the audience and sort of side with the audience. Like, hey, I'm on your side, but I'm going to tell you this story, you know, about this guy. And we're going to learn about Jerry Lewis here, things he didn't know. And then that allows me to kind of go back in time with them and guide them through this story. So especially when you're dealing with the story of Dean and Jerry, which they were together for 10 years, they had a falling out that had them not speaking to each other for 20 years. There's an incredible story in that. And you kind of need to be able to step out of the impersonation in order to properly tell that story. So audiences, I think, leave the shows that I do now. And even when I do perform at retirement homes now, I'm using that same format. I introduce myself to them as Nick, but as Nick, the guy who is a fan of Jerry Lewis. And then I guide them back in time and tell that story. Uh, And in doing so, I'm able to still do his routines and play his characters and do all that sort of thing. Sometimes tribute artists can be pretty, I guess, surface level. It's it's looks, yeah. sounds, fashion, um, mannerisms, and that's about it. But, but doing it this way, does that mean you've delved more into Jerry Lewis as a person and his histories? Yeah, well, that's exactly... I mean, I was always, even when I was doing the impersonation thing, I wanted to be as authentic as possible. Um, so I was, even back then, I was... The extent of my research was quite large. Uh, just because I figure if you're going to do something like that with someone as distinct like that, you should. It, you know, there's no point in sort of uh, haphazardly playing that part. So I, I right from the get go, I mean, literally right from age 13, I was researching and reading every book that had been written by him or about him and all that sort of thing and watching every piece of footage that I could. But yeah, what what's interesting about doing 
this format of sort of tribute performing is I'm now some of that information that I have that doesn't necessarily come out in an impersonation, some of that childhood information about him, his motivations, who his influences were, I'm now able to actually share that with an audience. I'm able to almost in a way, you know, because I'm paying tribute to Jerry Lewis, but also telling his story, I'm able to also pay tribute to Charlie Chaplin, who was a big inspiration for Jerry Lewis. You know, simply because by sharing that, I can now maybe go into a a chaplain routine or, you know, some of these other aspects or who were people uh, that Jerry Lewis influenced. I'm able to also sort of pay tribute to them. So it becomes this wider, almost more of a tribute to old school comedy as a whole than just a Jerry Lewis impersonation. What don't the majority of us know about Jerry Lewis that we should know? I was going to say that he's an incredibly complicated figure, but I think everybody (laughs) uh, knows that. What I find fascinating about him that I don't think people, especially of my generation, realize. Because my generation typically see Jerry Lewis as this old curmudgeon who sort of, you know, only popped up in the media in recent years when he had something negative to say. Yeah. But what I find fascinating about him and the more you research is how he evolved over the decades. Because when you compare 91-year-old Jerry Lewis to the Jerry Lewis uh, in his 20s, it's a completely different person. And then if you compare the Jerry Lewis in his 20s, who was performing with Dean Martin, to the solo performer that emerged in his 60s and 50s, it's, again, a completely different person. He was a bit of a chameleon as a performer. And what I don't think people necessarily realize is just how huge he was. He kind of became the butt of jokes towards the end. It's, you know, Jerry Lewis isn't, his style of comedy is not mature, you know, Um, and, and that sort of thing. But you got to realize that when him and Dean Martin were together, they were, before the Beatles had their sort of Beatlemania and Elvis Presley had his sort of thing, they had that. There were people flooding streets just to see them. And they were the only comedy team to have dominated every medium at the same time. Radio, comic books, television, movies, and literally be doing nightclubs, all of that at the same time. So two things, I guess, that I I think uh, people wouldn't necessarily realize about him was how much he transformed over uh, his lifespan and his career and how prolific he was throughout his entire career, how absolutely huge he was as a performer. It's pretty amazing that he did sort of stand the test of time through all those decades because if we look at comedy today, a sketch that you might do or a stand-up that you might do this week is totally old by next week because we're so focused on, I think stand-up comedy these days is so focused on news and current events and exactly what's going on in social media at the time. But they they had an act that, you know, as you found at 13, you could still get up and get some laughs for. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, I mean, you raise a good point. I think just probably because of the oversaturation of how much is out there, those days are probably over of something standing something lasting, you know, a hundred years like that, you know, but the fact that those guys like even Abbott and Costello and all these types of things that their routines are still, they're still out there. And there's people our age and our generations who still connect with them. That's incredible. And, but it, it also just kind of speaks to that sort of, we, it's that use that word is used all the time, golden age, but that sort of golden age of entertainment when stuff was, it felt felt like it was being created for the first time. What have you learned about yourself as you've learned about Jerry Lewis and and taken him on stage with you? 
I don't think I'd be a performer today without having done that. Doing the performance based around Jerry Lewis has helped me come out of my shell an incredible amount. Not that I was necessarily always shy, but like, I mean, now I do sing all the time in, in, in my shows, you know, and part of that is due to the fact that I've been cast in professional shows that have forced me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but because of that, I also don't shy away when I go to do my solo show in retirement homes and things like that of, of filling it with music. Because again, that's what they want. That is what they, they, they want to hear is some of those old songs. Uh, so I've, who I am as a performer, even within like the last five years has expanded an incredible amount. And I've learned things through doing his routines and, uh, mastering sort of his, his technique that I really would not have learned otherwise. I just wouldn't have had the guts to learn it otherwise. For people who aren't in Toronto, it's okay because you can get a bit of a taste of what you do through your podcast, which we mentioned a little bit earlier when I, um, sounded like a stalker. It's called Paying Tribute. Tell me a little bit about this. I've always found the lives of impersonators or tribute artists pretty interesting just because it's such a, a unique way to get into the entertainment industry. It, just, it doesn't follow that tried and true path of, you know, I went to musical theater school and then I got an agent. And if you, when you talk to these people, it becomes quite apparent that every person has had a very unique and different uh, road to get to where they are. But in also sharing my own story, I wanted to try and explore the stories of some of these other tribute artists in North America. So I reached out to about six other performers and got their stories. And one of the things I wanted to do was I wanted to do this podcast in a sort of narrative documentary format, which would allow me to, in also telling the story of the guests that I have, uh, also tell the story of whatever legend it is that they pay tribute to. So I know... You know, there's one girl that uh, she pays tribute to, Ella Fitzgerald. Uh, and so I also tell Ella Fitzgerald's story in that episode. There's a Charlie Chaplin guy. I tell his story, but I also tell a Charlie Chaplin story. And then, of course, in the sort of intro episodes with my story, I'm telling the story of, of Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. So it hopefully gives audiences or listeners a sort of trip back in time while also kind of introducing them to these uh, performers who are out there today. Go check it out. It's called Paying Tribute. You can find it in all your favorite podcast places, basically. Nicholas, is this, I would say that this is a vintage passion, liking vintage comedy and mm -hmm. collecting that knowledge. It's totally like collecting salt and pepper shakers. But do you have other vintage passions, vintage loves? It's all kind of connected to that era. I, that, that era in particular uh, is one that I absolutely adore, the sort of 40s into the um, late 50s. Although, like, there's, there's, two, uh, there's two generations I wish I'd kind of, uh, when I fantasize about what I could have grown up in, uh, I would have loved to have been like an adult in his 20s in the sort of late 40s, early 50s, or a teenager in like 58 to 62. So I love that sort of American graffiti type 50s retro thing. But then I also love this sort of Rat Pack era, uh, you know, the nightclubs uh, in the Atlantic City boardwalk. I do collect some things, although not a lot. One of my absolute prized possessions is I do have an ashtray uh, from Jilly's nightclub which no longer exists. And that's the Jillies that's referenced in um, Me and My Shadow, which Frank Sinatra and uh, Sammy Davis Jr. sing. And so I use that as a little holder for my keys. Uh, but then the other stuff, I mean, that I do is, uh, especially like, you know, when I'm, 
performing as Jerry Lewis, I'm always just looking for what was authentic back then with my wardrobe and everything. So when it comes down to the cufflinks, uh, the type of tux pants, uh, the type of tux jacket that you're wearing, uh, I'm always looking for ways to make that more and more authentic. So wardrobe really definitely interests me. I love that it's it's sort of got that theme. It's got that performing theme into to what you're looking for, what you collect. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's always just at the end of the day, I want to show it off too, right? So, <laughs> you know, if there's a if there's a pinky ring that you know is pretty authentic to something that would have been worn in that era, then I'm going to wear it on stage for sure. When you meet people maybe who are a little bit younger and they say, oh, I'm not really sure who Jerry Lewis is, where do you send people? Where, where should they start? Everything's on YouTube, but I would say start with the um, the Colgate Comedy Hour stuff. Start with the Dean Martin stuff. For me, Jerry was at his absolute best with Dean, and the two of them together were just lightning in a bottle, as Jerry Lewis himself said many times in many interviews. But... Uh, it's a partnership that has, I don't think, ever been reproduced in entertainment. So I, I would definitely say start there with, with the two of them, for sure. And yeah. then, of course, there's the, the Nutty Professor. Yeah, yeah, can't go wrong. Standard. Which you've probably seen, you probably just didn't realise. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Nicholas, it's been great to chat with you about this, to get to know you a little bit better. People can do it by heating up your podcast as well, Paying Tribute. Thank you so much for joining us on This Retro Life. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of This Retro Life. You can find us on Wooshka, iTunes and Stitcher where you can subscribe and, of course, rate and review us so it's easier for other guys and gals to find this podcast. To get more information on today's guest, head to our website, thisretrolife.com or search This Retro Life on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We have some photos and videos and behind the scenes and a whole heap more retro fun, so do come and check us out. As always, if you're a vintage guy or gal from any era and into anything from cars to collectibles, we'd love to hear from you. Go to thisretrolife.com and drop us a line. Until next time, I'm Kaya Handley. Thanks for listening to This Retro Life.